I need to say something, um, and I don't know if y'all are aware of this problem. We do have problems at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Um, the other week, I think we had 14 kids back there. We're, we've got space problems. Amen. <laughs> Let's just give the Lord praise for all these children's workers and these children. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. And, you know, once once in a while at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we'll have, you know, a baby or a kid will cry and in the service. And sometimes I haven't seen this here, but, you know, you, some churches that you go to, somebody people will look around like. Get that child out of the house of God. I'm like, well, you need to get out. You know, we need to be thankful. We need to be thankful, especially on Wednesday nights, man. We're in there having Bible study with the adults and the kids are having like a. Feliz Navidad, like not even at Christmas. It's awesome. What an amazing thing it is to even sometimes in the course of the sermon overhear the voices of children. Being, quote, interrupted. A worship, which I don't really like the word service. I think a worship gathering or event or church time, whatever, because we go to funeral services, right? And some of us have been to some churches that, well... It was basically a funeral service, right? We praise the Lord that we're going to try to get the heads together here in another month or so and see what we can do going forward into 2014 about different classes, new classes that are going to be developed. We don't have a lot of room for that. And we've got tons of children that the Lord is providing. And and we just want to give the Lord praise for that. It's not me. It's not us on our own. It's the Lord that does his work and he allows us to be a part of it. And if we can grab a hold of that fact slowly but surely in our minds, Rocky Mountain Baptist Church and its budgets and all of the, 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 we have a nice room in here. I can see a lot of people. All of this stuff in our minds will slowly trickle away from being quote unquote ours to his, but we get to use it for him, for his glory. What an awesome thing it is to serve Jesus. Now, I've debated about mentioning this. I don't want to make it a bigger deal than it is. But some of y'all maybe were a little bit weirded out. Like, why is everybody wearing earplugs? Did y'all notice that? Why does the band all have earplugs? Well, if you have been with us at Rocky Mount Baptist over the last couple of years, you have known that we have dealt with, uh, to put it mildly, sound issues. I thought we'd have a bunch of amens. Right. Our sound system, there would be certain parts in the in the room where you'd be getting blown away and other parts of the room you couldn't hear much. So what we have now with the system is this is this is not to be fancy it's not to be flashy. Even this right here, the reason why they said we want you to use this is because it will pick up the speaker's voice regardless of where the head turns. Y'all remember the old lapel that I put right here on, well, I guess the tie that I don't wear. And uh, it was right there. Whenever I would lean down to read the scripture, some of you who had the hearing assisted devices were like, whoa, because my mouth was closer to the microphone. And if I lean over here, you couldn't hear much at all. This way you get clear sound no matter who's speaking, teaching from this pulpit. And the reason why the band has the little earplugs is because they don't have to have these monitors. Now, I know I may, may be losing some people who are not... Sound, they're like, I don't care about sound systems, let's just go for it. What we had to deal with in the past is we had to push a lot of sound through these floor speakers for anybody up here playing to be able to hear themselves. 
Well, what happens is that it bounced off the back wall, hit the ceiling, and came out there. So not only did you get uneven sound from the speakers, you got extra reverb. So this is a way for them to be able to hear that. And the only sound coming through is the speakers. All that in sound lingo means that we're not going to have any more feedback, Lord willing. All right? So that's just to put it out there. I say, you know what? If we have somebody, it's their first time in church, and they come and see everybody with ear earphones and in-ear monitors, they'll say, well, they're just you know trying to be a big flashy thing. It's not that. What we want to do is lessen distractions to the worship and the preaching. That's all it is. We on the same page? All right. Let's get to work. Matthew chapter 5. The week before last, we covered chapter 5, verses 21 through 26 and the first part of a two-part message on anger and grudges and reconciliation so what we're going to do here is we're just going to walk through this passage of scripture and then we're going to try to break it down and do a little bit review bit of review from last time the bible says matthew chapter 5 and verse 21 this is jesus you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard. And you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never... Let's say that again. You will... Never get out until you have paid the last penny. You see, Jesus is teaching something that was very, very revolutionary at the time. Most of the people at the time had heard teachers teach, to go back to 21, that of course Moses is taught that you shall not murder, but the reason why you don't murder is because, go with me to verse 21, And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. In other words, you don't murder, you don't commit crimes, because if you do, you do the crime, you do the what? You do the time. Now, that's not bad reasoning until we we look a little bit closer. Jesus says the reason why you should refrain from murder is not just because you're going to be cast into prison or or publicly uh, executed. The reason why we should abstain from these things and pursue what God has is because God is worthy of all that we can ever give Him. You see, if we live our lives based upon what I should do, based upon what I may encounter in terms of problems, we're going to run into a brick wall, and it's this. Do I still serve God when I suffer for it? That's why we asked the question last time, right? Just imagine, suppose for a minute that that one person or persons that you can't stand, that you really see they deserve justice. And if it were the fact, and we know it's not possible, just imagine if it was, that you could 
that you could do whatever you wanted to do to that person, and people would never find out, and God would never know, what would you do? Think about it. If you could exact your revenge on the people that you think need it, and you could totally get away with it, not just humanly, but but with God as well, what would we do? And that's why we come to the central teaching of Jesus in relation to anger and murder. And it's right there in your bulletin if you want to follow with us. It is this. The main idea is that anger kills, anger destroys relationships, but reconciliation is what gives life. You see, reconciliation is what enables us to worship God. But if we hold on to grudges, it will smother our worship. In the Old Testament, it was almost an assumption of worship, right? That's that's their lifestyle. I want you to imagine just for a moment, we had something up here. We have a fire extinguisher and a can of gas. All right, I thought about it, but I said, no. All right, just no. Okay, but just just imagine, because I love visuals and illustrations. We don't have room for it anyway on the stage, but imagine a can of gas here, all right? Gas, fire extinguisher, extinguisher. Now, I will not ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure that we have some fire bugs in the house this morning. You enjoy fire when it comes to Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. You're the one wanting to make the fire. You're wanting to light the fire. You're wanting to do fireworks. You're the ones that go down to South Carolina and get the fireworks and bring them up illegally to Virginia. And we have nervous laughter, all right? People see bombs going off. Where did they get that? You're like, I got it, all right? Now, here's the thing. I enjoy fire. And I was was making a fire the other night in the fireplace. And the thought occurred to me is, you know, you're just letting this message soak. Fire can be very beneficial. It can. Many things you can do with fire that help. But if it gets out of its proper domain, it can cause massive destruction. I begin to notice the distance from the fireplace to the carpet. And I said, you know what? It's only about two or three feet. All it would have to do is just get out that much. And then the carpet catches on fire. And then the couch catches on fire. And then the house burns down. And the fact of the matter is that God has made all of us in his image. That means that all of us intuitively, without having to read a book on law or moral philosophy, we know, even before coming to the Bible, we know that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Don't we? Like just straight up. I mean, you can be with a group of people who know nothing about God, but you do, you know, you talk about something that's really twisted. They'll be like, what? That, that's messed up. Because we all have the image of God Inside us. And so here's where the illustration pivots. We all have passion for the truth. We all have a desire to see justice done. But we have to be very, very careful that what causes us to be angry is not a selfish anger about ourselves, but there is something in the Bible that speaks about righteous indignation. Now, this is kind of a high-octane way to start a, a message, but, but issues such as, as abortion, that should cause us to be righteously angry at the murder of children. I got one. Thank you, Brother Pat. Let me, let me say that again. In a, in a blue state, okay, we should still have righteous anger and brokenness at the fact 
that not just in Virginia, but over the United States and many parts of the Western world, there are little children who don't have a voice, they don't have an attorney, they don't have an advocate, you see. But they're executed without a trial, without a judge, without a jury. If that's not a big deal to you, let me just make a statement that may limit our crowds at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Your moral compass is twisted. You see, you're the one who has jacked up values. You see, now, Jeff, when you're talking about righteous anger, are you talking about, like, bombing abortion clinics? No. You said, Jeff, are you talking about, you know, like, like going out and beating people up or even doing picketing and screaming derogatory terms towards abortion clinics and people are going, no, what we're saying is that we should be broken and fired up about the travesty, the moral injustice of abortion in our nation today. And then if we are not emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually moved by that, then there's something wrong. You know what the Bible calls it? A hardened heart. It means that we have gotten so used to what is, we hear this phrase all the time, it is what it is. In many cases, that's true. If it is that, then it is what it is. But what is does not always have to be, nor is what is always right. Amen? That's why we have to be very careful to keep the fire in the fireplace, to keep the fires of passion burning for God and not allowing it to come out and react in selfish anger. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Here's the thing. We can keep our own fire in the fireplace and have it directed to where it should be. Passion for God and a love for Him. When we hear people use God's name in vain, it breaks us down. When we hear of little babies that or aborted, it, it breaks us. When we, when we know of, of children that are without parents or children that have been abused, it breaks us. It brings us to our knees and there's something deep inside that says, it's not right. And I want to do something to help. But then, when you come out of your home and you're out in the culture, there's going to be fires that you come across. There's going to be places that you come to and people are going to allow their fires to spread to you. At that point, we come to a crossroads. Jesus says the road to forgiveness, the road to relational peace within your marriage or within your friendships, within your family, is reconciliation. And what will happen if we put off reconciliation and we say, I'm just going to hold on to bitterness. I'm going to hold on to this grudge. I'm not going to work it out. Is we will actually throw gas on the fire instead of bringing the fire extinguisher of God's forgiveness and mercy to it. You see, Jesus called us to be peacemakers, right? Peacemakers. So that means people are making war against us. And we say, you know what? Because Jesus absorbed the wrath of the Father, because Jesus absorbed all of my suffering, through His power I'll be able, not of my own strength, but I'll be able to forgive you. And work through this reconciliation. Let me give you a few texts from the Old Testament. And this goes how how clearly the people in Jesus' time understood the concept of sacrifice. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 8. The Bible says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. You see, there are several guarantees. If you're taking notes, you can walk through us with this outline. There are several guarantees that we come to. And we'll break these verses down. But there are guarantees that if we take a particular action, according to God's word, certain things will happen. Number one, it's that anger 
and grudges that come from anger actually smother our worship. They smother it to where we're never able to come full circle. That's why the Bible says in the Old Testament that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Let me give you another heavy verse. Proverbs 21, 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? Isaiah chapter 1 in verse 11. The Bible says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. You see, the Old Testament people and Jesus' hearers understood that you can come to the temple. You can go to the synagogue. Our context, you can come to church every single week. You can pull out that Lottie Moon Christmas International Missions offering envelope and you can put a lot of money in there. You can give regularly to the needs of this church. You can raise your hands in worship to every style of music that we do here. But the Bible from the Old Testament all the way to the New says that if you harbor evil and resentment in your heart towards another person, God doesn't care about your sacrifice. Now, let that sink in for just a moment, because some of us say, you know what, Jeff, I'm not evil. I mean, I haven't been out killing anybody. Well, Jesus, once again, right, he says that anger is murder in the heart to God. And not only that, but we have to think about it in terms of of a holistic perspective. It's like when Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother, some of us don't have we don't have a problem with anger. We live in it, right? We watch shows with angry people. We listen to, to music where people are, I don't know, they're just angry. We, 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 we live and hang out with angry people. It's just like this whole sphere of anger. And we don't think anything's wrong with it. But you see, God's word doesn't give the defining line between Nazi, American who has anger issues. Jesus cuts the roots out of both of those trees and says that according to God, even anger itself is murder. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 20. God says, what use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba. It was like a luxury of luxuries. Or sweet cane from a distant land. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. Amos chapter 5 and verses 20 through through 24, the Bible says, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. Check this out. God says, I will not listen. What's the solution? He says in verse 24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. You see, we can come to church and we can give and we can outwardly worship at least. But the word of God says the way to true worship is to release that anger that is in our heart towards another person and truly forgive them. Have you been to church before where it seems like everybody's mad? Preacher preaches. The music is sung about God who entered into time. 
And who's so powerful, he can, he can rescue any sinner, someone from death row, or a white collar criminal who has ripped off people's, I mean, an Enron type of deal, ripped off people's retirement accounts. He can do anything, and people just are unmoved. Just thoroughly unimpressed, unenthused, and unmoved. And it's almost, if you've been to a church like that before, it's almost like the most motion you see from 11 to when it gets out is this. It's the, it's the motion to say, when is this over? This is my honest opinion. I believe it's biblical. The reason why you see such a lack of worship, a lack of passion, a lack of true enthusiasm for Jesus Christ is because we are disobedient to the very basic teachings of Jesus. It's not because we don't know how to read Greek or Hebrew or write a theology book, but it's things like this. Go back to the text. When Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother without cause is in danger of judgment. Jesus is saying, look, you cannot worship me if you've got stuff undealt with with other people. Now we can back up to verse number 20. And Jesus, this begins his explanation where he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness, what? Seeds, surpasses, goes above and beyond the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the people in that time were on this quest. Have you ever been on this quest before? It's the quest like, am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay with God? Am I okay with other people? And the people were looking Okay, if, if I don't murder somebody, then I'll be good. If I don't actually commit adultery or sex before marriage, which the Bible says is fornication, if I don't do those bad things, then I'm good. Notice how Jesus knocks that all the way to the ground. Jesus says, you know what? You could never commit physical adultery. You could never actually pull the trigger But if your heart is full of the lion of lust, of the raging beast of anger and lust, he says God sees that and God makes no differentiation at all. Anybody uncomfortable yet? You see, do you notice sometimes when we get down deep into the words of Jesus, sometimes the laughing stops, right? And we believe in having a good time, right church? The only thing that we should take serious is the gospel. No joke. I think the Christians should be the most, I mean, the most enjoyable people to be around. Here's the thing. When we, when we get down to what Jesus teaches, that if anger is in your heart towards another person, and you know that, it's not some hidden sin that you have no idea. It's not something that's been locked away and put in a lockbox underneath a covering, camouflaged. To your moral conscience. But Jesus is saying if you know that there is anger. Then you're in danger. Not only does anger smother worship. That means, here's the thing. If you're angry at someone and you come on Sundays. It's almost like you're trying to swim. With weights tied on your arms and your feet. If you've ever done swimming, you know that even a 15 pound swimming brick is difficult to hold up. Some people say, man, why can't I get any traction in serving God? But yet they're harboring bitterness. That's the reason. Secondly, reconciliation. Here's where we get to the good news. Reconciliation enables 
the freedom to worship. If you're taking notes, go with me to Matthew chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15. Jesus says in this same sermon, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Imagine this. We come to church. All right, we're ready. We're ready to come to church and we come in. But imagine if the words of the hymns and the new songs were changed. And instead of saying these words like, always you're with me and amazing, what? Grace? Grace like forgiveness, reconciliation on storage? I mean, all of that. If instead of singing those words, we sang what we truly felt about those that we have not reconciled with. Think about it. Amazing grace. Scratch that. Sorry, dog. I wish your house would burn down. I look for many ways to cut you down. And it continues to go. And go. And go. And imagine if the words on the screen changed. The melody, the music was the same, but they changed to what we truly were focused upon. You see, Jesus says, absolutely. It's going to be difficult to follow me. Some of you, you may say, well, how difficult is it, Jeff, to be saved? To be saved, it's a free gift that you receive from God. But guess what? You can't receive it on your own. It has to be God doing a work inside you. And he does that whenever the word of God is preached. But Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, he says that if anyone would desire to come after me, that means if you're here today desiring to reconcile with those relationships and that anger in your life, he says, let a man first deny himself. That can be so difficult, can it? Especially when we're talking to that person, they may not deserve forgiveness. They may not deserve reconciliation. You say what they deserve is justice and judgment. Absolutely. If they're guilty, that's true. But at that moment, we need to look in the mirror and say, God, without your grace, where would I be? And here's where it often gets very difficult. We procrastinate. That's the next point. Procrastination of reconciliation only escalates conflict. Go with me to verse number 25. When Jesus says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge hand you the guard. And then the end result is that you are thrown in prison. You see, a lot of us, we say, well, you know, Jeff, it's, it's going to be so hard to, to, to do that. It's going to be so hard to, to try to work these things out. You know what's more difficult is going into the prison of relational earthquake, relational division to where Jesus says, notice here in verse number 26, he says, truly, I, will, I say to you, you will never get out unless you, until you have paid the last penny. Unfortunately, we have a world of people Many of whom have heard, especially in the United States, the message of Jesus that says, as you have been forgiven, freely forgive. You see, church, we don't deserve forgiveness. None of us can come to God and say, God, I'm ready to be saved. But really, you deserve to, I deserve to be saved. No, none of us deserve the mercy of God. All of us deserve His wrath and His justice and His judgment and hell forever. We don't talk about that very much today, do we? 
But when people, when they don't restrict their own fire, when the line of their anger, as we used that illustration last time, where, where the, the man tried to, to tame that lion, that, 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 that beast, but yet it still was wild at heart. We've tried to, some of us, we've tried to control our anger by explaining it away, saying, you know what? I was raised in a tough environment. Those things can contribute, but they're never an excuse. Amen? Because Jesus came into the toughest of environments. He's rescued people from every culture, every angle of society. And He can do the same for anyone who calls upon Him. We can, we can sometimes, we can excuse it. We can explain it away. And sometimes we just try to suppress it. There's actually, I wrote this down here, volcano that has erupted 500 times this year. Small volcano on the island nation of Japan. And I cannot pronounce the name, so I'm not going to try. But just imagine that. In a year, 500 times. You see, that's what anger is like. And Jesus says, I'm not just going to deal with the explosion of the anger, with the collateral damage. I'm going to the source. I'm going to the heart. Look back with me again in verse 22 when Jesus goes to the heart. He says, anyone who is angry with his brother, the point there is in the heart. You see, a lot of us, we say, I need to change my behavior. If the heart changes, then the behavior can change. Amen? Jesus is not into modification of your behavior. He's into changing our lives. And you see, that way when we come to someone who's going through the same issue, if you've been saved by Jesus Christ and you've wrestled with anger, when you help someone else who has wrestled with anger, you don't come to them like, man, you know what? I got the Bible, but let me tell you these 15 steps that I conquered my anger with. If that's the testimony, then who gets the glory? We do. We come to people and say, absolutely, we can get help from different areas. But at the very bottom of the issue, my heart was full of anger. I was a volcano going off 500 times in the context of my homes. I have hurt my family and my children. But one day I came to realize that I needed to bow my knee to Jesus Christ. And allow Him to clean up and save my heart. A pastor named Kevin DeYoung, and he says this. He says, quote, if you have an anger problem or a bitterness problem, it is really a gratitude problem. Think about it. Whenever we get angry at someone, we're basically telling them, you're giving me less than I deserve, right? Let that sink in. I deserve this level, but you've only come up to here. Therefore, I'm angry at you because you have something, you have an obligation that you have not yet fulfilled. What is our obligation to God? To love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And honestly, is there anyone, including myself, including any deacon, any leader at this church, that can truly say, God, I have always, even from the time that I've been saved, I have always loved you with my all of my heart, with all of my mind, and all of my physical strength and my energy. No. None of us can say that. So this may be freeing for some of you, but when you're working through this passage on anger and someone does something that you become angry and bitter towards them about, they didn't come through the way that they should, okay? Let that be a reminder to you of all of the times that you have failed 
the God who gave you life, the God who gave his only son to save you, the one who is giving you mercy to extend to them. You see, when we see ourselves as only sinners saved by grace, but children who've been rescued by God, that and that alone will enable us to give grace to other people. Senator Jeff, um, I see the next point in your outline. Well, thank you for following along. It is freedom from grudges comes only through reconciliation. That's true. You say, but Jeff, I have tried to reconcile. I've tried, I've tried to make peace and the other person will not do it. I listened to John MacArthur's teaching and he said on this passage, he said, when you have done all that you can do to forgive and also seek forgiveness, but the other person has hardened their heart against you and they have decided deep inside their mind and their soul, I will not forgive you. Question, can you make someone else forgive you? No. At that point, you have laid your gift upon the altar. You have, as best you know your heart, tried to reconcile with your brother or your sister. And it is at that point that you leave them in the hands of the Lord and begin to pray for them and be broken for them and maybe even fast. Go without food and pray that God would change their heart. Because you, when you see, when we truly love people, when we passionately love people, not because they're likable. Because here's the thing. If we hang out with each other for any amount of time, you're going to find things you say, you know what? I thought I liked Jeff better than before I started hanging out with him and finding all of his, all of his many faults. And guess what? It'd probably be the same for us. Amen? That's what they say about marriage. One pastor said, If you're looking for someone to marry, you have to ask yourself the question. Am I willing to argue with this person? Because you're going to argue with someone, whomever you marry. And all of the married people are wisely staying quiet right now. I was called in for jury duty several months ago. and I'm just going to say it. He said, did any of you have reservations? And I said, in this case, I think the reconciliation would be be a better option. And I had a friend let me know that there was a reporter there from the Roanoke Times that quoted that. Imagine, we're not talking about cases of criminal law and so forth. But if we as followers of Jesus Christ would come to the place where we say, you know what, I have the choice of putting this reconciliation off. I have the choice of doing that and thereby throwing gas upon it and bringing more people to my side saying, you know what, you are right. You're right, they are wrong. And they may be, or I could come with brokenness, and that's the final final guarantee here, that reconciliation is only possible. You want peace in your marriage, with your friendships, with people at work, the Word of God, reconciliation is only possible through humbly submitting yourself to the commands of Christ. Notice what Jesus says again. He says, come, verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser. James chapter 1 and verses 19 and 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let me give you another one. Ephesians chapter 4 
in verses 26 and 27 and 31 and 32. The Bible says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be Here it is. Be angry and do not sin. Here's the kicker. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Very practical from the word of God. When you go to bed angry with another person without having done everything that you can to reconcile, what will happen deep inside your soul is there will be this little, this little alien bug, this little plant called bitterness. And it will plant itself inside the soil of your heart. And the next day you wake up, you go to work, you go to school, you go fishing, and it's like, well, don't, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. It's totally a big deal because even something small, please hear me, this goes totally against Southern culture. We can be so offended, but we'll say, it's all right. It's not. It is so not. And especially in Southern culture, we'll say, oh, you're, you're, you're okay. You're fine. No. And we will suppress it. And it takes root and it begins to grow. So the next time you talk to that person, whether you're married to them or whether you're neighbors, there is a little bit of static on the line. And then as that root of bitterness begins to grow and twist, it holds hold over your heart and your soul. And then the eventual product is like if you've seen vines that have grown over one of those old stone walls in Europe. And slowly but surely, the creeping of that little tiny vine has torn down that wall you will have a torn down relationship with that person. It is a big deal. And the Bible says, don't go to sleep until you figured it out. So what that means is that some of us may be pulling all nighters. Amen. Verse 31, the Bible says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, this word that Jesus uses here is actually a very unique word where he says, come to terms quickly or be reconciled with your brother. You know that there's only one other place in antiquity, in ancient writings, that we find it. There was a boy who wrote, he was a prodigal son, wrote to his mother, and he says, I beg you, mother, and he uses this word, be reconciled to me. You remember what happened with the prodigal son when he came home? He had lost everything. I mean, for us, that'd be like a, I don't know, a college student walking into his father's home, maybe around Thanksgiving or Christmas time. Stephen Smith puts it like this. He said he walks in, he stands up at the dinner table and says, Dad, I don't care about you. I don't care about this family. I know I have inheritance coming. Give me my inheritance. The family is blown away, but his dad graciously and mercifully says, son, if that's what you want, that's what I'll give you. And writes in the check. And the son storms out. He goes down to Cancun. He blows the whole thing. And as he's hitchhiking back up north, he stops at a truck stop. And he says, I need something to eat. And so we can maybe work out something if you can go in and you can clean the toilets. So he goes in and he's hugging this toilet, trying to clean it there in this this truck stop. He looks in the trash can, there's this half-eaten hamburger, and it looks to him like a steak. Remember the story with the husks eating what the pigs ate and the story of the prodigal son? And he comes back to the father. 
after he had disrespected the father, after he had wounded the father and the family, after he had acted horribly, and the father sees him, and the father begins to run, which in Jewish culture, men did not run. It was a sign of fear and disrespect. And he grabs his son in his arm, and he says, my son has come home. And he gets he gets a robe and he puts it on his son. He puts a special ring of significance and blessing and a sign of love on his son. And this son who deserved for the father to say, who, who are you? My son, my son told me that he didn't want anything to do with me and the family. You see, my son told me, I don't care. Goodbye. I don't have a son other than my hardworking son over here. Father didn't do that. He came and he wrapped that boy up in his arms and he ran to him. You see, that's the picture of God. And whether you realize it or not, whether you're still in Cancun blowing the inheritance of your life, whether God is bringing you here on Sundays to appeal to your heart, whether you have come to that place and you're looking down that trash can and you say bitterness and anger has destroyed my life, it's hurt people that I love, I am ready to go home. You know what God says? He says, come on. He says, I am your father. I'm the one who can clean you up. I'm the one who can surround you with people that love you, with people that have their own issues. Because sometimes we think if we go home to the Father or if we go to church, that we're going to be surrounded by all these perfect people who will think that we're so messed up. That's not the case. The case is that the Father throws open his wide, his arms of love. And like that little boy, that young man in ancient antiquity who wrote that small note, Mother, be reconciled to me. Same word that Jesus uses. The question is whether we're Willing to simply obey the words of Jesus. There are some of you that after the events are finished here today, you need to make a phone call. You need to make a visit and be reconciled. And if that person turns you away, if they kick you to the curb in brokenness and mercy, you still say, I love you. I love you. And you may not want to say it in a derogatory term like, I'll pray for you. But inside your heart, you say, God, I resolve through your power to fast for them, to pray for them, to love them until you break through to their heart. Because if it were not for you, I would be lost.